before we begin. Let us all take a moment to bring our hands together to pay homage to the most magnificent one, the undefeated one, the unblemished one, the perfectly enlightened one, our teacher, our master, our guide to liberation, freedom, our emancipation. And as we do so, let us also remind ourselves that this is us renewing our oath and our pledge to ourselves to free ourselves of suffering and to help all others do so along the way. So let us now bring our hands together and chant the Namaskara in veneration of the Supreme One. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhassa you should hold, hopefully by now be beginning to understand that there are no bad people out there. In fact, every human being is an arahant waiting to happen. In fact, every time their mind springs into being, a chitta is born, it is as pure as pure can be. I was, we were talking to the monks the other week and you know how when we engage in meritorious deeds at the end we make this determination don't we may this be land may this land be blessed with many hundreds of thousands of arahants I can do that right now imagine this room was filled with a hundred thousand people Okay. Now I want to, I want to produce a hundred thousand arahants. You know all what I got to do. That's it. A hundred thousand arahants were born, just like that. What do I mean by that? Each chitta that is born, is born pure. So each chitta that comes into being is an arahant chitta, free of defilements, unblemished, untarnished, without vexation. The issue is, it is born into an environment 
which defiles it. Because it is born in an environment with ignorance, immediately attachment takes root and then it, is, it gets hijacked. This is what happens to every sentient being. If ever there was suffering in your lives, if ever you've experienced that, and if you ever you experience this today or in the future, this is what's always happening. So we need to fully grasp this and come to terms with this. Because when you begin to see the truth in this light, you don't have enemies after that. There are no bad people out there. No resentments with anybody. Have you ever seen a dog clutching maybe a, a small animal, maybe something like a squirrel or a little rabbit in its jaw and shaking it about? If ever you've seen something like that, what have you always felt the need to do? at that time. Save the poor animal, right? Which one? The dog? No, you always felt like you had to step in and save the squirrel. Yeah? This is how I feel when I see people out there. They're innocent. They don't know what's happening to them. But ignorance and attachment, like the two, the upper and the lower jaw of the dog, clutching at their necks and shaking them about left and right, just swirling them around. And that poor animal, of course, and it's in a great deal of pain at that time. So it's screaming trying to get out of it, trying to get out of that situation because it's unbearably painful. You've never been there, that's why you don't know what it feels like. But you have, because of course this is a metaphor and this is how all sentient beings are. When clutched by the neck, by ignorance and attachment, when it gets you by your neck, and it shakes you about all that pain that you feel and everything that you feel you need to do to get out of that. Are very similar. This is how we spend our day. This is how we spend our nights. All your material possessions, besides the ones that you need to just to Sustain yourself. Everything else you've got, you got yourselves because you got caught. You got ensnared. And then once that happens, you just need an escape. So I want you all to see all human beings out there in the same, in the same light. There might be people who will come and maybe say harsh things to you, you know, you'll come across this every day, every other day. 
people will say harsh things to you they will behave sometimes in very irrational ways you'll try to rationalize it but it just makes no sense why they're doing that why when you are innocent they will accuse you in these moments try and come to your senses just as you accuse them of being out of sense before you accuse make sure that you are innocent and that you are in a sane mind because of course if you don't see that they are hurt people and therefore they naturally do what hurt people so if you see them as hurt people then you will immediately your heart will fill with compassion that's it you know you might wonder how come the buddha always talks about being compassionate and loving kindness and how he says that you know violence begets violence and you can't fight violence or hatred with with hate you must always be compassionate and be full of loving kindness to all human beings you know it might you might have wondered even prior to listening to the dhamma how how do i how do i ever get myself to be able to do that because when someone does something like that to me i i feel anger i feel animosity i feel resentment i feel like teaching them a good lesson so that they don't come and mess with the wrong person again but now you've become the right person to mess with haven't you do you remember that talk how you should become the right person to mess with because if you are the right kind of person to mess with then even if they come and mess with you then they are in no trouble but if they come and mess with you and you are also vexed you are also in pain and suffering then it's just tit for tat an eye for an eye does what makes the whole world blind so this is what happens so i want you to start to see the world in that way now we have as are coming up hmm? next week the world wide the world all over people will be celebrating the three auspicious events of the buddha's or the prince's birth the prince attaining enlightenment becoming the supremely enlightened one and then his passing away into parinibbana so we do this every year don't we it's a custom it's almost a custom and then they'll print vesak cards and people will be sending vesak cards to each other none of this is bad it's good then there'll be stalls out there they'll be selling vesak lanterns yeah there'll be lights all over people will be going to the temple lighting oil lamps and all sorts of traditional activities they'll be getting involved with if you go to your local temple if you are is here perhaps then you will see there's a lanterns and there will be a special buddha puja right so vesak is a celebration for most people it is just that it's a celebration it's just another time another moment another opportunity to get out of jail like we talked about last week after a monday to friday in prison you get two days 
where you can just go out and roam about and then come back to prison <laughs> back on Monday. So when people live that sort of lifestyle, when people live a life where they are constantly in vexation about whatever, about their children, about paying the bills, about their neighbors, about the distrust that they have between each other, friends falling apart, enemies coming closer, all sorts, right? debtors knocking on your door, all sorts of things. Now people are looking for an opportunity just to take a deep breath and you know, take, that, take a holiday. So that is why in the calendar, they'll appear as holidays. So you'll have bank holidays, you'll have public holidays, you'll have Vesak holiday, holidays. New Year holiday, New Year's Eve holiday, Christmas holiday, Christmas Eve holidays. Good, people need holidays, of course. Holidays were meant to be holy days. That's what they were meant to be. And later on they became holidays. So, you know, when you say, when you hear the word holiday, the thought that comes into your mind is, it's a day to relax, right? Whereas in fact, they were meant to be holy days. In other words, those were the days when people were supposed to go and engage in something holy. In fact, purifying themselves, making themselves holy, purifying themselves. But, of course, you know, when people lost the plot, this is what it was about, it just became another opportunity for the vendors to be selling things and for the consumers to be buying things. That's how, the, that's how we rock and roll, isn't it? <laughs> Any opportunity to make some money. If you can sell the Buddha, you will. <laughs> People go about selling fridges to the Eskimos. If they can do that, they will. But again, you know, no matter what people out there do, I need you as disciples of the Buddha, as followers of the truth, and as individuals who I believe will one day achieve their salvation, I need you to look at people out there from a very different light. You can't look at people in the same way that every other Tom, Dick and Harry does. You can't be the average Joe. You gotta be special, special in your perspective. Special in your outlook on life. Special in your understanding about why we are here as human beings. That is what makes you an Aryan. They are special in that way. You couldn't spot one from the outside. They'll eat the same, walk the same, talk the same. But their perspective on life is, you know, they're worlds apart. So in your transformation from a mundane individual to an Aryan, the first check and balance that I'd ask you to do is to make sure that your perspective on life has changed and the way you perceive other people and how you perceive other people when they do things to you, things that would have otherwise upset you and made you even fall out with them or maybe make you feel angry or upset with them. If that has changed, then you are making progress in the right direction. Because in the lab of life, they're all perfect opportunities. 
you know this is why i believe living, living in a in a in a community the, the family is a community it's the smallest community that we know right living in a community in a village in a in a school environment at work or even you know a club a society right living amongst others is a good opportunity for you to understand how well you have embodied this dhamma because you'll always have individuals who will think and feel excuse me feel and do things differently to how you would and in those situations it might upset you might bother you might hurt you might annoy you and now there are they are opportunities for you to check your perspective how do you see them do you see them as people who are out there to hurt you or do you see them as people you know just like the squirrel stuck in the caught in the dog's jaw it is their vexation it is the it is their ignorance and attachment that have transformed them that have hijacked them to behave in those ways you know they say it takes one to know one right when you know what's happened to you you will know what's happened to them that's how it will work if you don't know what's happening to you then god forbid you won't know what's happening to them you won't if you know that ignorance and attachment have got the better of you then you will know that ignorance and attachment have got the better of them see that's why you know nibbana starts at home in every sense of that word nibbana starts at home it starts with your compassion and loving kindness to yourself last week we talked about guilt remember towards the end of the sermon if you can't forgive yourself if you can't be kind and gentle to yourself if you can't have compassion towards yourself and forgive yourself for things that you have done how on earth are you going to do that for others because if you don't see yourself in that perspective how do you see others in that perspective he or she who's been there with the rest for the for the entirety of their life is who who's he or she who's been there with you for the entirety of their life you who are who else huh? you have had to put up with you haven't you you know sometimes you know just as a joke i tell people you know if someone does something wrong i say they come and apologize i say yeah it's all right you know i forgive you it's not me who i feel sorry for it's you because you had to put up with yourself for the rest of your life just jesting but you know your temperaments your characteristics your ups and downs all that you have to put up with there's a lovely stands like the dhammapada the buddha says disodisang yantang kaira veri vapana verina you heard that miccha panahitang chitta papiyo nan tato kare so what he means by that who do you think a, a burglar fears above all the king a robber a burglar a muggler who do you think they fear above all it takes one to know one 
Who do you think they fear above all? Someone like them. Because who can't they trust? Themselves. They, they can't trust people like them. So a burglar has to be very careful if they're in a group of burglars. Because you never know when. They cannot be trusted. Just like them. They can't be trusted. They know they can't be trusted. So therefore they know people like them cannot be trusted. So the Buddha says in this Dhammapada stanza, just as a burglar poses the most threat and fears another burglar, an untamed mind does its owner the most amount of damage and harm than anything else in this entire world. So, I ask you the question, who does the most damage, the most, who is the most danger to you? Of course, an untamed mind. Your untamed mind has, is what has caused you all pain and all suffering, all grief and all sorrow from the moment you started living with each other. No one has done you more harm. No one has put you in more danger. No one has posed a greater threat than your untamed mind. How true do you think that is? If I ask you, do you have any regrets in life? Hmm? Whatever you come up with, I challenge you, whatever you come up with are things that you will have done. <laughs> Not something that someone else has done. Yes or no? If I ask you what regrets you have in life, yeah, they'll all be things that you'll have done. Say for instance, you didn't perform well in, in school. You just wasted your time, you know, just ran about playing games, but you didn't focus on your studies. You're not going to say the biggest regret in my life is having to sit a tough exam. You wouldn't say that, would you? No, what would you say? I didn't study well. That's cool. I wasted my time. I shouldn't have done that. That's what you'd say. So you see, that was an untamed mind that did that to you. If you ever got into a fight with someone, or into an argument, and it just ended up being a nasty argument, and you know everything turned very turned out very nasty. Right, the whole family split up at the in the end. If I asked you if if that ever happened to you, what was the regret? Maybe it was something so, so something so simple, like you know who gets the last piece of cake, something as simple as that. So who gets to wear that sari? Sisters can split up, you know, for things so simple as that. Oh, which way are you going to leave the bathroom seat? Up or down? You know, people get divorced because of that. So if we asked a couple who split up because they couldn't decide how they're going to be leaving the bathroom seat, the toilet seat, 
from the bathroom, see the toilet seat, you ask him that, what do you think they're going to say? The biggest regret of my life was, I should have just let it go. I just kept on and on and on about it, about something so minuscule, something so irrelevant, something so insignificant. I should have just let it go. <clears throat> See, whatever regret you have in, your, in life, it'll always be something that you've done. So the Buddha was right, wasn't he? Who's caused you the most regrets? Tell me, your mother? How about your father? Let's try and hang, hang all the blame on him. Hmm? Your husband then? Hmm? Wives in the house? Husbands, right? <laughs> or is he the other halves? Husbands? Who's caused you the most pain, most grief in life? Of course, it is your untamed mind. That is why time and time again, I always say, you know, point that finger in the right direction. You are always to blame. If ever you are in pain, if ever you are in sorrow, if ever you are frustrated or annoyed, your path in the Dhamma, your path to true liberation begins there. Do something else and you are completely off track. You are never going to achieve, achieve happiness. So, you know, here's another check of whether you are beginning your journey as an Aryan. Whenever you have a problem, do you see yourself as being the problem maker? Do you identify yourself as a, as a person with the problem, the culprit? This is a question that you need to ask yourself. So, you know, here I'm checking your homework. Okay, I'm asking you the question. This is a rhetoric question, but I need you to come up with an answer in your own mind. You don't need to shout it out, but in your mind, you need to have an answer to this. Last time you got angry. Last time something bothered you, who was to blame? See who the answer is. Who was to blame? You got, I'm saying, not when something didn't get done. I'm not talking about that. Okay, the dishes weren't done. Who was to blame? You can say my wife. Because, you know, every Wednesday she washes, every Thursday I wash, so it was Wednesday she hadn't done the dishes, her problem. Fine. I'm not saying last time the dishes didn't get washed, who was to blame? I'm saying last time you got angry, who was to blame? See if you have the answer. Now once you have your answer, you can turn to the back of the book because I have the answer sheet. <laughs> hmm? Question 1.1 one. It says in the answer sheet, the answer is me. What do you have? But in that moment, how, how long did it take you to accept that? Did you accept that immediately, the moment you got angry? Ah, hold on. I'm to blame here. Right? Give me a moment. I need to walk away. I, I, I'm, I'm annoyed and that's my problem. I'll sort it out and I'll come back and then we'll have this conversation. Is that how you behaved? Or in a very un-Aryan fashion. You. Why did you say something like that? Why do you always make me angry? Why do you never listen to me? Why do you always do things I, I tell you not to? 
Why do you always try to make me angry? I've heard parents say that to their children. Why do you always make me angry? Why do you always annoy me? Don't you never appreciate what I do for you? I've heard wives say this to husbands. Don't you ever appreciate what I do for you? Why do you never value what I do for you? Why do you always make me angry? Why can't you make me happy for once? <laughs> You'll see the husband say that to the wives, or vice versa. Look at all the things I do for you. I, I work nine to five. I earn the money for the family. Huh? Blood, sweat and tears. Uh, I don't care about because all I care about is you and I do all this for you, for the family and then I come home, you can't even make me a cup of tea to make me happy. What do you think he's doing? Barking up? He's barking up the wrong tree. Who does the barking? Dogs do barking. Are you still someone who's outsourced your happiness to somebody? Do you still import it from China? And are you someone who exports your unhappiness? That's what people do who don't understand the Dhamma, right? They'll import their happiness from somebody else and they'll export their happiness to somebody else. Because when they're unhappy, sorry, export their unhappiness, their sorrows and their griefs to, un to somebody else. When they're unhappy, you did it. And who's going to make me happy? You are going to make me happy. So please make me happy. And please don't make me angry. <laughs> so I'm neither to blame, neither to be, you know, I, I'm not the creator of my own happiness or my unhappiness. I'm not responsible for that. It's everybody else. If you are still there, I'm talking about this because I want you to spot where you are on your journey. If you are still there, then you've hardly begun your journey. The Dhamma is here to help you realize and recognize whenever that happens in your mind, be that when you're happy or when you're unhappy, you do that to yourself, nobody else. So these are those moments where you can catch it and check where you are. This is that litmus test of where you are in the path. So the Buddha goes on to say, Natamata pita kaira, Anye vapicha nyataka, Samma panahitan chitta, Seyonan tatokan. So what he says is, there is no relation, neither mother nor father. How about that? Hmm? Who loves a child the most? Mother and father. Yeah. But no relation, he says, and neither mother nor father can do more good to one who has a tamed mind. They cannot do more good than the mind does to itself when it is a tamed mind, tamed in the Dhamma. Well-trained mind. And it is obvious to us. 
Now you are on the path, right? Now you're practicing the Dhamma. You're freeing yourselves from the defilements. Perhaps your parents have not even entered the path yet. Perhaps your relations have not even entered the path yet. They're not interested. Maybe they're still trying to pull you out of it. But if you feel that you have gotten somewhere, right? Who did that to you? Yourselves. Any freedom that you experience today, any joy that you experience today, all that is your making. In other words, that is the Dhamma's effect on the mind. So again, you've got to take the credit for that. In fact, your mind has to take the credit for that. If your mind has to take the credit for that, then your mind has to take the blame when it's upset, it's angry, it's suffering. See, so my first check for you is, are you there? Are you there now? You've got to catch yourself when you're doing it. I can't do that on your behalf, right? I can only show you here are your, what shall we say, the, the key performance indicators. But you've got to check whether you are. And the best place for that is out there. Because once you're here, you know, people treat you like gods, don't they? Here, you know, this is a very artificial environment, if you like. Very different to the world out there. But when you're out there, when you're on the street, when you're in the shop, right? when, you've, when, you, when you've been shortchanged and you go back to the shopkeeper and say, sir, I think you've shortchanged me. And then they accuse you of being a cheat, of lying. How you respond to that? Or when you're on the bus, when you're pulling up and someone else comes and takes your parking spot? Hmm? Or when, some, when, you're, when you're holding someone up and they're stood on their own? Have you heard that? When they stand on it? <laughs> they take off their seat belts, right? And then they get on their steering wheel. <laughs> And then when you just move to a side and then they, they drive past you, but they'll stop for a moment. Hmm? When you come parallel, they'll stop for a moment and then their window will go down. Hmm? What happens next? We, we import those things from, <laughs> from the Western world, don't we? The people didn't used to do that, but now they do. That's what they've seen on TV. See? Look at all the good things that TV has given us. Those days, used to, they used to you know, blame and point five fingers. Now they don't. Imported. That has now become part of our culture. Like sausages, we imported that. Now we've imported this. They'll do all that because they're in the safety of their car. Then they'll do that. People are always looking for a fight. Just the other day, you know, we had to travel to Kandy to go to the Malwata Vihara and on the way back, you know, there's a tooth temple on one side and this side people are having, people are fighting. <laughs> because uh, some guy was walking along the street, two ladies, right, and then they bumped into uh, what looked like an old man and so 
this lady assumed that he wanted to he, that he bumped into her deliberately and then she started accusing this man and this man got really annoyed and then he started saying something back and then all i could see before we drove past was the two people were coming together coming coming closer to each other so i knew things were going to get go from bad to worse i saw other things as well i don't know if, how much of that i can tell you well maybe i can tell you this one so uh, then we we drove further down and then there was a three wheel park so someone came and got into the three wheeler i think they were having an argument about which three wheel driver was going to pull out first okay and then one three wheel guy driver he got the passenger into his vehicle and as he was pulling out the other per- the other driver was obviously very annoyed about the fact that he'd lost and the other person had won so surely the driver who'd won must have said something it was obvious to me that something had been said and the nature of what had been said was also obvious to me because what i saw the other man do was he was lifting up his sarong and giving him a display this is what you want this is what you want so he must have said something along those lines and two temple on the other side stone throws away people are always looking for a fight you know like like stray dogs you know they have turf wars don't they dogs stray dogs they have turf wars i don't come on my turf this is my they go they go around marking their turf you've seen dogs do that right people are like that you don't have to be a drug lord for that just average people you know this is my turf my personal space is my turf isn't it so don't encroach my personal space hmm? you can't bump into someone these days without either you know being filed a lawsuit or losing a tooth one of those things will happen inevitably so i would suggest you know when you walk out you know <laughs> where you somewhere with someone you, you where you don't know people much out there you know maybe wear a fake set of teeth or something you know don't wear your real teeth because you might not come home with all of them even if you are the innocent party you know you bump into someone you say sorry that's not enough need to say you say sorry isn't enough no seriously if you say sorry to someone they'll say sorry Watch where you're going. I don't need your sorry. That's that is where people are today. And it's getting worse. I told you one day, you know, people will be they'll be they'll be with they'll have weapons on them. Just like a scorpion has poison in its tail. human beings will develop appendages like arms and things like that they'll have weapons on them anger and hatred will do that to people you know the mind can transform the body just like when you're mentally ill your body can become ill 
and you're mentally happy, your body becomes becomes better, right? You, you feel fit, you feel strong, you feel vitality, right? As the mind becomes more and more consumed in anger and hatred and so on, your bodies will, people's bodies will start to change. They will transform. They will become human weapons. So this will happen in the future. Mark my words, this will happen in the future. We haven't stopped evolving. So people are always out there for a fight because they have all sorts of problems in their mind. It's not the person that they bumped into that they have a problem with. That's the thing. You know, this is what I want you to recognize. Because you're living out there. These things will happen to you. Someone will come and bump into you and they'll, they'll start to, you know, really blow their, try and blow your brains out, right? Relax. It's not you they have a problem with. They probably have a problem with their wife at home. Maybe they have a problem at work, right? And you are just the vent. Because what they know, they know that if they had, if they took it out on their, at their workplace or at their homes, they have to live with that. But when they're out and about, you know, they're never going to see you again, right? So you might as well. That's the thing. Right? If two people, strangers, saw each other on the street, they're never going to see them again. So whatever frustrations you have bottled up, any anger you have bottled up, you might as well just let it go. Because, you know, no ramifications. But if they did it at the workplace, well, certainly, there'll be consequences. You're going to lose your job. But do it to a stranger, it's all right. <laughs> Chances are, you'll never see them again. That is why people behave like that. So they'll make a scapegoat out of you. And you'll have to take the sharp end of the stick. When that happens, I just need you to be in your senses. If you are our people, our kind of people, if you are disciples of the Buddha, I can't change them, but I can, I can help you to better prepare yourselves for those situations. Don't go tit for tat. You might remember, maybe as young, young men, young people, right? I've heard some parents, not my father never said this to me, thankfully, and I'm ever, ever so grateful to him for having said, have not having said something like that. But I know that some of my friends, their fathers, when they were young, told them, you know, if ever you get beaten up at school, never come home and tell me you got beaten up. If you get beaten up, make sure it doesn't happen again. Can you read between the lines? Make sure it doesn't happen again. If someone raises their arm at you, make sure they don't have another arm to raise at you again. I had friends whose fathers had advised them you know, as such. Thankfully, my father never said something like that. You know, even in the school system, Okay, the young children here will be able to relate to some of this. Even in the school system, you know, nowadays, you know, there are thugs in schools. There are thugs. 
you know, they get street cred in school now. You know, the guy who no one messes with. There are gangs. You know, I say now, you're like, Swami Nasa, you've just been born or something? It's been there, you know, for, for, forever. Yes, but it's just getting worse. That much I know. It's getting worse and worse. Because it's, it's now the style. If you want to be someone, if you want to be the respected one, you've got to be the one who no one messes with. So this is happening in schools. This is happening on the street. Because what you learn at school, you take it out on the street. You know, that's why we see so much violence out there. You take a newspaper out, don't. Get a newspaper out. You know, just, just if you glance through some of the headlines, you know, what, what do people talk about? All the good things and the great things that are happening around? Hmm? How, how someone, is, how someone is, the, is today's Mother Teresa? How someone is today's Mahatma Gandhi? Oh, no. Because, you know, that, they don't sell. You've got to write a headline that sells, right? So headlines that sell are fights, drugs, violence, rape. This, this is what sells. These are the stories that are sensational. When we went to one, on one of these trips, one of the Swaminathan says we met, he said, uh, he got out a newspaper and he said, do you see this news article? And apparently in some rural part of the country, some people had got together and they'd made a collection and they'd given books and all sorts of education materials to a whole bunch of school children. Right? And that was in a tiny font. Next to it, there was some case about uh, uh, it was a case about a child having had been raped by by someone. That was a big size font. So this this Swami Nuhanse, he made a call to the editors of the newspaper and said, you know, why do you present these things in this 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 way? You know, surely it should be the other way around. Why don't we why don't we highlight the good stuff so that people can read these newspapers and they can be inspired by that and you know they can have some faith in humanity and why why do you print this these other articles which are which just you just you're just glamorizing violence you know why do you do that and then the simple answer was because we have to sell the newspaper we understand exactly where you're coming from venerable sir but we have to sell the newspaper we've got to print news that sells the papers. We can't change that now. It's too late. We can't change that now. I don't think we can change that. If you think anyone out there is up for it, then be my guest. But I don't think we can change that. It's too late. You know, it's like a tree, right? Once it's gone past a certain point, you've got to apply infinite force to try and save it. Set it back upright. So we can't conjure up infinite force. The natural tendency is now for it to fall. I think we've gone past our peak point. So from now, you know, from here on, it's going to be declined. Certainly, you know, the Buddha Sasana will only be available around for another two and a half thousand years. Right? The best part of it has gone. Now we are in the, towards the tail end. So 
you're only going to see it getting worse. Your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, if you ever have any, when they come into this world, unfortunately, I can't tell you it's going to be a much better place for them to be in. It's going to be much worse. There'll be pockets of communities, you know, here and there, who will be who will be very different to others. You know, they'll be just they'll mind their own business and they'll just get on with what they have to do, making use and making making use of whatever is left in the sasana. There'll be that, and then there'll be other people who are they don't understand a sasana, but you know, they'll want to do good to the world. They'll be kind and gentle people, but they'll be very few and far between. The vast majority, unfortunately, I, I believe, will be. They'll all be inclined towards that sort of thing. So when you're out there and this is what you experience, this is what you have to live with, I need you to keep your senses on. Recognize that this is what ignorance and attachment are doing to people. It is not that they are inherently bad. Because if you do that, if you, if you think that these are bad people, they're terrible people, and look what they're doing to, doing to other people, if you feel that, you know, this is what bad people do, then unfortunately, the more you feel that way, the more you will move further and further from your Nibbana. Because you are not entitled to look at people like that. You've lost the plot. As I said, it takes one to know one. So if you know that ignorance and attachment are what have done this harm to you, then you need to understand that it is the same that has done that to those people. When vexation comes into the mind, the mind has no other business than trying to find a path out of it. That is all the mind's interested in. You know, if you feel that you want to steal this, if you think you need this so bad, Right From the moment you walk into this room and you set your eyes on this, this is the only thing that will be in your mind. You'll somehow find a way to walk out with this. That's the way it is. The reason that you don't is because you don't want this so bad. That's why. That's all, that is all the reason. It's not because you are gentlemen or gentlewomen. Nothing like that. If the mind wishes to have this, by hook or by crook, it will get it. You will either beg, you will borrow, or you will steal. One way or the other, you're going to have this. Otherwise, will, why do people you know, commit certain crimes knowing that the punishment is corporal punishment? Why do people do that? Why do people commit certain crimes knowing that you know, they have to pay with their lives for it? Because at that moment, None of that comes to mind. Because that is a future possibility, right? In the future, I will have to suffer. But right now, I need it. How about when people are, you know, so... When, when they have burning, carnal desires. Hmm? When they know that if I do this, I'm going to... I'm, I'm probably going to get infected with something. Maybe an STD or something sexually transmitted disease. But at that moment, when the heat is on, 
they'll forget all that. Then they forget that this is, you know, they might, they may, they may be infected. They may, this, this is a stranger. You know, this is my, my, my relation. This is my cousin. They forget all that because in that moment, none of those things matter. Remember, a, a vexed mind is helpless. It's destitute. A vexed mind is destitute. But a vexed mind that has refuge in the Buddha Dhamma and the Sangha, now it knows what to do when it's vexed. That's why now it knows where to point the finger. If you have, if you have taken refuge, what is taking refuge, by the way? What, 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 is, what does that mean to you? Taking refuge? Taking refuge is like taking cover, isn't it? Taking shelter. Looking for protection. Yeah? That is what the Buddha, Dhamma and the Sangha are. So when we take refuge, you know, it's not something we have to do at the beginning of a sermon. When do you have to take refuge? <laughs> when you're vexed. That's when you need refuge. But today people do it, you know, at the start of a poya day, maybe. Or, you know, when at the start of a sermon, before an almsgiving. You know, before the almsgiving, you know, no one's going to go and, you know, murder anyone or kill someone or steal something. You know, people are there for a good deed. Yeah, that's fine. You can take refuge then. But that's not what refuge is for. Refuge is there when you need it. Who goes into refugee camps? People who have everything they want? No, people who've lost everything they have. They seek asylum. So when you are someone who needs asylum, when you are someone who needs refuge, at that moment, take refuge. At that moment, take refuge in the Buddha. So what's the moment when you need refuge? When do you need refuge? When you are vexed. That is when you need refuge. Not at the start of a sermon. Because at the start of a sermon, you're sat there. You're not doing anyone any harm. You just sat there. You come there. You are, you are there willingly out of your own will. You have your own accord and you want to be there. You want to listen to the sermon. But when you're out there, you're annoyed with someone, you're angry. That's when you need refuge. But those are the times when, are, when it's really tough to take that refuge. That is why we practice. So that in a split second, you can come to your senses and take refuge in the Noble Triple Gem. What does the Noble Triple Gem offer you? It offers you solutions. Simply, that is what the Noble Triple Gem is. It's a solution to a problem. So if you don't have a problem, then you don't need it. It's like food for the hungry. It's like water to the thirsty. It's like air to someone who wishes to breathe. It's like medicine for the wound. The noble triple gem is refuge to those who need it, who need refuge. To the mind that is vexed, to the mind that is suffering. That is what the noble triple gem is. So, you know, I need you to see it like, you know, the, the only answer, the only solution to your problem. When you're vexed, don't seek refuge anywhere else. Because if you seek refuge anywhere else, as we have been doing throughout our lives in Sansara, 
forget sansar just this birth right as we have been doing throughout our lives whenever we sought refuge in in, in anything other than the buddha dhamma and the sangha when the mind was vexed right it only made you more and more vexed that's what happened so you can never have enough ice cream can you if you have it you'll have some more you'll have some more at some point you'll say that's enough but then you'll want it again but you can have enough buddha dhamma and sangha there'll be a point where enough is enough there'll be a point where you you can say you actually can say that's it i don't need any more buddha dhamma sangha but you can't say that for ice cream you can't say that for chocolate you can't say that for anything else in this world because buddha dhamma and the sangha is the medicine that cures your wound so when the wound is cured you don't need medicine again but what everything else does what ice cream does that is what makes the wound it deepens the wound it scars the wound by ice cream of course i mean anything worldly you can substitute that with anything you want take yourself back it uh, into a moment where you know you felt you knew you were vexed about something did it not seem that the only answer was in the thing you wanted did it not seem that way forget about the dhamma right forget about when you started to become a disciple of the buddha forget about when you said bhagavato dasa savako hamasmi forget all that go back to a time before that when you felt vexed about something did you not feel that the answer to your problem was that honestly hand on heart that is what you felt right today do you see how wrong you were today you do you see how wrong you were because if every time you took that you never moved closer to your to salvation you didn't move closer to freedom you didn't move closer to happiness it just made the problem worse have you not met people i've met people out there who say that you know whenever they feel like they want something their philosophy is just go and get what they want because at some point they're going they can keep getting what they want and more of it and more of it and more of it and eventually they'll feel that that's enough some philosophies teach that whatever you want just go and get it if you want if you want pleasure go and get pleasure if you want food just go and have food whatever you want just go and get it at some point you will be full to the brim and then you will know you've had it you don't need any more that is your satisfaction that is your contentment how wrong how wrong that is so the most important thing to do right is to come to your senses when you find yourself in these situations i can't take the situation away from you i can only help you face up to the situation nibbana is not something you can go and find out there nibbana is always with you that is why i say if you want an arahant all you got to do is that an arahant is born but the mind through ignorance needing something other than what has been presented other than what is available other than the sound other than the sight other than the smell other than the touch 
It looks for that separation. It looks for an identity. It wishes to be unique. It wishes to set itself apart from everything else. And in that quest, it starts a whole journey of Abhisankara. And you end up with a fantasy that appears to be true, but is nothing or couldn't be further from the truth. Your Nibbana starts when you start to tackle your problems. So don't think of running away from them. You know, think of it this way. God loves you, right? He created you and He loves you. He gives you every opportunity to come to Him to go to Him. And to do that, you need to become like Him. He gives you opportunities. These are all opportunities to become like Him. God loves everyone the same, man and woman. bird and beast, everyone. He loves all the same. The rich and poor, he loves the same. The tall and short, he loves the same. The big or small, he loves the same. Black or white, he loves the same. Because they're all his children. He's the creator, so therefore, he loves them all the same. One day when you can feel that way, when you can perceive everything around you that way, when you can love all the same, that is your path to God. When you feel that everything is the same, I don't mean you can't tell two things apart from each other. I mean when the way you perceive them is all the same, when you have no a special bond to one versus the other, when you don't feel that one, you feel closer to the other. When you feel a special affinity to one versus the other. When you care more about one and less about the other. When you don't feel that way. When all is the same to you. Now you have become like God. So when you've become like God, then the, the earth is not your place. Then your place is paradise. That's when you go to paradise. So how do you get another day in paradise? Hmm? Another day in paradise is when you can love all the same. You can't love all the same if you start to separate individuals and things and start telling them apart from each other. You can't do that when you're like that. So people might ask me, do you believe in God? Yeah, why not? No harm. But isn't Buddhism atheistic? I still believe in God. <laughs> but if you ask me, what is God? If you ask me, who is God? 
I'll probably say, don't ask me who is God, ask me what is God. I'll probably say, I believe God is love for all the same. That I believe is what God is. When you can love all the same, when loving kindness and compassion towards all, everything, literally everything under the sun, when black and white are the same to you, when man and woman are the same to you, so then you can't have friends, neither can you have enemies. Because what is a friend? Someone who's not an enemy. Who's an enemy? Someone who's not a friend. See? Last week, remember, we talked about this, that whether you like something or you don't like something, you're, you're still suffering. So what I, I don't mean, you know, go make friends with everybody and then you'll be, you'll be God. That's not what I'm saying. You don't need to know someone for you to love them. Because the, the very, you know, the, the very worldly kind of love, you have to know them. That's when you can love them. Right? So you need to know who your neighbors are. If they've just moved in, you can't start loving them. You just you go and find out who they are, where they're from, what do they do, right? who, are they, who are their relations, who's who, what, you know, what is their profession. You need to know all that stuff. But to love them like God does, you don't need to know the first thing about them. So I, I ask you a question, you know, can you be like God? Can you be like God? Can you love everyone the same? Can you feel the same towards everyone? So no friends, but no enemies either. But do you, or do you feel special? You know, if you are, say if you are a man, do you feel that women are special to you than men? Or perhaps the other way around. Do you feel that men are special to you than women? Do you feel that you can, you feel more, you feel closer to people of your race than another? I ask you this question. If the answer to these questions are yes, 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 I'm in answer, then no, 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 no. You're very far from God. You're very far from God. To become God, you must be able to say, no, they're all the same to me. Do you feel you are, for instance, for instance you feel you're, you're Sinhalese? We are Sinhalese, they are Tamils. Or we are Buddhists and they are Christians. Or they are Muslims. They are Hindus. We are Buddhists or so we Buddhists have to get together and fight for our rights. We have to fight for our kind. How can you be kind and fight for our kind? We stand for our people, not them. We have to protect our integrity, our territorial integrity. This is our land, not theirs. The politicians will not like me for saying this. 
but I'm not a politician. I'm a child of God. I aspire to see all the same. I don't love my parents more than I love you. Any more than I love you. I used to, but then I realized they are also God's children, but so are you. With the same compassion that I have towards my, my mother who gave birth to me, the same endearing words that I can use to help her, to help her feel better, to help, to help stand her up in the face of obstacles and challenges and face life's problems, I can do that for all of you. Because they're both, you and her, they're both God's children. In fact, I don't even feel that I am different to you. Because if we are all God's children, then we are all siblings. Aren't we? That's why the other day I said, you know, I don't care whether you're straight or you're gay. I don't care. That's not something that I perceive in my world. It is not something that I think, I don't give it even a tuppence worth. Absolutely none. Because that is not why we are united. Those are things that sets us apart, don't they? People are so focused on what sets people apart because, because they want separation, that's why. You know, take out uh, any document that you can think of, right? Any official document, maybe a birth certificate or an identity card. In there, you will have everything that sets you apart from somebody else. Yeah, like from where you were born, which city do you live in? What is your sex, right? What is your name, right from that? The name is the most endearing thing to you, right? That's the thing that you treasure most. Why? Because it sets you apart from somebody else. It gives you a sense of identity. You know, all these are creations that were, that were brought about because the mind wishes to experience this separation, a false sense of separation. That is why we all have names. That is why when we ordain in the sasana, you know, we give up all those worldly names that were given to us. And in the sasana, we all take a name from our teacher, who took their name from their teacher, who took their name from their teacher, and they took their name from their teacher, and they all took a name from the great teacher. Meaning we are all one family. So whether you see a monk in Taiwan, or in Thailand, or in Bhutan, or in Sri Lanka, or in the United States, or in America, or in Canada, or even the Iceland, we are all one family. We're all one family. So they've all dropped their lay names, which is a symbol that we are giving up what separates us and we are embracing what unites us. What unites us all? Forget Buddhism for a second. What unites us all? The fact that we all suffer. That is what unites us all. The fact that we are all looking for happiness, that's what unites us all. Because unitary in our purpose, 
Although diverse in our pursuits, we are unitary in our purpose. Aren't we? You have short hair, madam. You have long hair, madam. Both because you feel that what makes you happy makes you happy. We are unitary in our purpose. That is why when we when we ask for robes, we make just one promise and one promise alone. That is why we, you know, if you don't say that, they don't give you robes. You have to make that oath. You have to take that oath. Sabbadukka nisarana nibbana sachi karanattai iman kasavandatva pabba jetamambhante anukampang upadai Venerable Sir, with infinite compassion towards me, please, may I beseech those robes so that I may go forth into the sasana and free myself of all suffering. See, that is where we are all united. At that point, we are all united because we've all come here for one purpose. But, you know, go to school and ask someone, what do you want to be? The child says, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an engineer. I want to be this. I want to be that. Right? And then after that, after your A-levels, they split you up into, or for your A-levels, they split you up into various streams and then after that into university, right? And then so on and so on and so on. The further you go in life, the further you are separated from somebody. Yeah, because, you know, when you were all infants, you know, perhaps, you know, perhaps even when you were, if you were twins, conjoined twins, right, in the same mother's womb, right, twins, identical twins, you were born together. See, you, you, were, you were so similar. But after you were born, now from then on till death, everything that happened in life only sent you in two separate ways. One took one part, the other took another. Because the mind wishes to separate. The mind wishes to identify itself as unique from everybody else. This is, this is, you know, this is the fundamental, this is a dying and strong desire of the mind. I, you know, try and understand this, ladies and gentlemen. Why you've all done so many different things in your lives when you all wanted the same thing? The reason is because your mind wished to be, wished to experience a uniqueness from, from others, a separation from others, an identity that you could say was mine. That is why. The way you, you cut your hair, that was a symbol of how you are different to others. Remember when you went and stood in front of the mirror in the, in the, in the dressing room, right? And you propped yourself up, you put on your makeup, you wore your hair, put on your tie, your coat. Hmm? Maybe say you, when you were preparing yourself to go to a party, did you want to look like others or did you want to look different to others? Always. If you knew someone else was going to wear a similar sari or a dress, frock or something, what would you have done? You'd have picked another, wouldn't you? Yeah. You want something different. That difference is what you thrive in. You, you enjoy that difference. That's the thing. You enjoy that difference.
That is why you are so particular about your names. Remember I used to tell you when people got my name wrong, it really annoyed, annoyed me. How they used to mispronounce my name and I used to get really annoyed about that. Because my name is what sets me apart from everybody else. It's, you know, don't you know my name? <laughs> that's the first thing that sets people apart. You know, when you meet a stranger, what's, what do you normally ask? What's your name? So that we can identify each other as separate individuals. They don't ask like, are you suffering? I am too. See, we are, we are the same. They don't say that. What's your name? And then where do you live? How old are you? Are you married? Each of these answers, they help you form a picture about this person, a unique person, don't they? Then you'll ask, what are your hobbies? Oh, are they? Mine are these, and so on. This is how we try to separate ourselves from each other. And, and that, why we do we do this? Because that is what we believe gives us satisfaction. It is what allows our souls to be happy. That, that separation. You know, just think about this for a second, right? <laughs> if you are the average man, who does he wish to live the rest of his life with? What would he say? A woman. Yeah, someone who is very separate to him. <laughs> See how, how much we have to separate ourselves from each other and how much we enjoy that separation, that difference that we experience. If you ask a woman, who would you like to spend the rest of your life with? A man. The more the difference, the better. Even to that level. Think about it, you know, the, those choices we made in our lives, we just did it blindly. We didn't know why we were making those choices. But the underlying truths are now surfacing themselves. And we are beginning to understand why that attraction. Hmm? Why that attraction? Because they're different. <clears throat> you know, in a, say, in a group of fair girls, if there's one dark girl, right? typically the attraction is towards that and vice versa. That's why, you know, in now the world has become so cosmopolitan. People from all races and all, you know, all cultures, all colors, they've come together. Right? If you go to some countries, right, it's a thing now. You, know, you, you go out with someone who's, who's, who's different to you. People, people enjoy that. People look for that. Not my kind, a different kind, so that they stand out of the crowd. From the way they dress, from the, from the partners that they have, from the things that they do, their, their adventures, their hobbies, the food that they eat, everything, you know, that separation, the mind thrives in that. The car you drive has to be different to the, guy, to the car that they, the person next door has. It has to be different, at least in color. At least in color. See, take a, take, just take a moment and ask yourself, what happened to you? Look at what's happened to you. 
you know, we need to study ourselves, don't we? As much as we spend time studying math and physics and chemistry and biology and zoology, you know, take a moment to just study your mind, see how, see what it's doing to you. Look at like, you know, this whole thing and think about Think about this separation and the need for that separation. See how far your mind has taken you on this endless journey. That is what sansara is after all. The journey for separation is sansara. Someone asks you what is sansara. You can forget the rebirth cycle because people might not believe in that. But you can explain to them very simply and very plainly. It's, this, it's the pursuit of separation. That is what sansara is. And it is the truth. Even in a three-dimensional sense, you know, the three-dimension we talk about. What is sansara after all? The mind is born with that. And but that is not enough for the mind. The mind wishes to experience a separation. So ignorance and attachment comes in. Abhisankara happens. Bhava happens. And jati happens. That is sansara, right? And the moment that happens, you feel that it is I who's heard the soil, that noise. See? So it is the pursuit of separation. So even at that level, this is true. But even at a very superficial level, Sansara is the pursuit of separation. What is Nibbana? If that is Sansara, if Sansara is the pursuit of separation, then what is Nibbana? What is Etang Santang Etang Panitang? Yadidan Sabba Sankara Samato. Sabba Sankara is what? Separation. Samato is the, is the end of that, the cessation of that. Sabhupati pati nisaggo. Sansagga is clinging, clinging on to any opportunity to separate. Nisaggo is letting go of that. What do you let go? What is Nibbana? What is it letting go of in, in the in sense of Nibbana? Yes. Letting go of the need to separate. That is what letting go is. Tanhakyo, virago, nirodho, nibbanati. It is the journey to unity where we are all one. Sansara is a journey to separatedness, where we are all individuals, we are all separate from one another. Joyful, essenceful. Hmm? What's the other one? Uh, I can't remember now. Pleasurable, thank you. Pleasurable, joyful and essenceful, right? What? What is pleasurable? What is joyful? Separation is. That is what is joyful. That is what is that is what the mind, the ignorant mind believes is essenceful. That is what the ignorant mind believes is joyful and essenceful. And pleasurable. A sense of separation. But what is Nibbana? It is when the mind understands that no, that is not joyful, that is painful, that is not essenceful, that is essenceless. Because separation never happened. Remember the other day I asked you, 
if someone asks me the question swami so, I mean, nath when we talk about separation what are we separating from what what is your answer separation what from what hmm what are we separating from what if you have that question you haven't understood the principle because you can't have that question separating what from what the whole point of not being able to separate is you can't say what from what isn't it because if you can say i'm separating x from y you've already separated so you can't be able to say separating x from y because there is no x and there is no y no separate x and y to talk about a separation so what are you then how come you are so different from each other see we have women we have men we have children we have adults we have full heads we have bald heads how come we aren't we also different there is what we talk about manifestation these are simply configurations of stuff mind and matter matter always has a configuration you can't you know, any matter anything always has a configuration right but that configuration is simply a configuration that manifests in that moment that is all it is because of the causes that manifest it so you like you can't separate an effect from its causes yeah like you can't separate an effect from its causes we we can't separate any of you from the very causes that manifest you at this moment so you see take this fan for a second right immediately when i talk to you about this if you ignore the dhamma for a second right? if you look at this through ayoniso manasikara you will see an object that exists won't you forget the dhamma for a second okay you'll see an object that exists how about this this is also an object that exists so these are two objects in in existence so now if i was to if i were to take this uh this pin out and then take this part out now you'll tell me that i'm breaking it i'm breaking what this fan this object so an image an impression of this of this object is implanted in your mind because you perceive this as the word we use is fixed a fixed object even if we were to break it up apart you still feel you will still perceive that we have taken apart a fixed object that's why if, if you know it is not sufficient for someone to just you know look at the body as a 32 parts and you know that in itself is not vipassana because then you know someone who works at the mortuary all they do is vipassana isn't it they remove the hair they remove the teeth they remove the cut out the bones and the arms and the blood and the pus and you know the the intestines and the guts <laughs> they're going to separate bags so how much vipassana do you think they have developed over say 15 years of doing that job no they don't after they done their 95 they also go for for a break that that does no vipassana for them because if you ask them whose arm did you cut off they'll tell you it's this person's whose hair did you 
pull out. You'll say, this person's. Whose skin did you have to peel off? They'll say, this person's. So likewise, when you take this as a fixed object, any part of this belongs to this. This is why right at the beginning of this series, we talked about the sense of belonging, remember? When you have separate and fixed entities in this world, there is the concept of belonging. The concept of belonging goes hand in hand with that. You can't talk about belonging if you can't talk about a fixed object. Because when I say it belongs, you have a question to ask me. To what or to whom? Because the, the, the fact that you, have, you can answer the question to what or to whom means you have a what and a whom or a whom which is separate from everything else in this world. That's why the other day I said, you know, when you talk about, when you think about this pen, everything in this world, everything else in this world is not this pen. Yeah, everything else in this world is not this pen. So you see, it is separate. So when you talk about this fan, everything else in this world is not this fan. Another fan? Well, that's still another fan. It's not this fan. So when this is this fan, this is an object in existence. Meaning, now there are things that belong to this. So if I took out this pin, for instance, right? If I were to pull it out and leave it on the, on the desk. Okay? And now as I leave the room, I'll ask someone, you know, can you please go and arrange the desk? Can you just make sure everything's, everything's sorted? One of the first things you will do is when you come back, you'll take that pin and you'll put it back here. Because this is this one's pin. That's why. Imagine if we had this pin and another pin. Which pin would you feel like putting back here? Huh? Just think about it. I, I take out this pin. Alright, I take out this pin and leave it here. I take another brand new pin and leave it right next to it. You, I ask you to put it back. I say put it back. Not anyone in particular. Which one would you normally put? Which you feel like putting back and then feel... Huh? Which one? That pin. The pin I took out. But they are identical in terms of his, their purpose. They both do the same job. But you feel that one belongs to this and the other doesn't. How come? That is not in the pin and it's not in this fan. It is in your perception. Because you have a sense of belonging. Not belonging to you necessarily. Just a sense of belonging. It's a general perception. Belonging. Don't you feel belonging? The sense of belonging? You do. What does this belong to? Is it just knowledge? It's more than knowledge. It's more than knowledge. This belongs to that. See, the best example of that is, right, if I were to take two identical pens, thankfully we have two identical pens, or almost identical at least. Right? If, I took, if I took this lid out and this lid out, right, and then I put this on this, now they are both blue pens, right? And then put this lid on this, you still feel something's not right. Don't you feel it? In this moment, I'm asking you, don't you feel that something's not right? That is that sense of separation. Because this does not belong to this. So I'm going to say, please put it back. Put it back there. Put it back here. And now you go, ah. Now you feel settled. That is pleasure that you just experienced. In other words, relief from vexation. 
that is what you just experienced there so if you were just relieved from vexation then clearly there was vexation vexation for what vexation for making sure that whatever belongs has to be together that's why you know when you watch a film right and oh you 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 know you you get news that say a child's been kidnapped and then somehow they found the child and now the child's been reunited with their family not your child not even anyone you know but doesn't that give you a sense of relief not simply because you like a family to be because they're a family and you know families have to be together you have always you always have that feeling of belonging things have to be together things that are things that belong have to be have to belong together have to be together that is that is a sensation that you can't help it is simply because of your your need for that separation you can't stop separating that that's how you can tell when something's broken that is that sense of separation but the problem is that is only a perception that belonging does not exist out there it is not in the objects none of the objects out there feel that this pin does not believe does not feel does not perceive that it belongs to this pen it does not it does not only you feel that because it's only in your mind you see this as one separate object don't you perceive that as a separate object now bring the dhamma here now let's talk about anicca <clears throat> how do you apply anicca to this yeah what you see here is a manifestation this is simply a configuration of matter at this moment in time this is also a, ma- a configuration of matter this is, these are all configurations of matter this is also a configuration of matter this body <clears throat> here matter is configured in a certain way here matter is configured in a certain way here matter is configured in a certain way these configurations exist that is a given we take that these configurations exist and we need names to refer to them because otherwise life would become impossible if you couldn't call this a fan then how would you ask someone to bring this how would you fetch this how would you buy someone buy something you couldn't you couldn't survive in a world where you you weren't able to give conventional configurations names that is why these are conventional truths conventional truths why conventional what is convention it is something we come up with for convenience right for the convenience of life for for life to go on we come up with certain truths like this is my house this is your house so we don't both walk into the same house this is these are conventions for ease of existence ease of living so this is a conventional truth <clears throat> the conventional truth is here is a fan okay and this pin belongs to this that is a convention the problem is when your perception becomes one with that convention if you know it by convention simply as knowledge there's no problem with that an arahant knows that this is a fan 
but he doesn't perceive this as a very separate object from everything else. To him, this is also Rupa, this is also Rupa, this is also Rupa, all of these are Rupa, just different configurations. Remember the other day we brought the building blocks? Was it in this sermon or in the Singhala sermon? Yeah? I can't remember. Let's imagine building blocks, right? You take some building blocks and you make a figure out of it, right? And the same blocks you can take apart and make another figure out of it, okay? If, say, the first figure we made was, say, a tower, and the next figure we made was a bridge, is it the tower that has now become the bridge? Is it? But you feel that way, don't you? That's the thing. That is what we are talking about. The reason you feel that way is because when those blocks made the tower, you felt that there is a tower here. You went over and above, you, went, you, you surpassed the concept of a manifestation. It was more than a manifestation. To you, you perceived a separate tower. These rupas, they belong to that tower. That is how you perceived it. The blocks belong to the tower. Therefore, those blocks were the tower's blocks. That is what, this happened in your mind. Ask the, ask the blocks of the tower. Ask those blocks, do you belong to the tower? No. Is, it, is that not why you can take them apart and make something else out of it? So then you made the bridge. Now you'll say the tower has become the bridge. And now if you take out the bridge, take it apart and make, say, you know, another structure out of it, we make a, a pillar out of it. Now you'll say the bridge has become the pillar. No. Here's what happened. There was Rupa. There was Rupa, there's always Rupa. This Rupa can take different configurations. You've seen birds flying in formation? I showed it to you the other day, a while ago. When birds fly in formation, right, they'll take up various patterns, won't they? In three-dimensional space, they take up patterns. But those patterns, they, they, they don't last for more than, you know, a split second. The very next moment, what do they do? They change that pattern. So is it fair for us to say then, one pattern has changed into the other? Do the birds know that they're flying in formation? No. Do they know that they are coming together to form that pattern? They don't know that. So if the very elements that constitute that pattern don't know that they're taking part in that, then how can we project? This is what happens. We project our perceptions, our fixed perceptions onto objects. That is what we do. So for you, this is a fan because you project a fan onto this. This is simply a manifestation of Rupa. But you project a fixed fan onto this. Therefore, when this breaks, okay, I'm trying to explain to you where suffering comes from. So this is a good point in our sermon. When this breaks, actually this didn't break. This never broke. All that happened was configuration changed. Whose configuration changed? You can't answer that question. You can't say the fan's configuration changed because the fan is simply a perception of your own making. It's in your mental world. So what's in your world, you can't say is happening out here. So if this breaks, you'll say the fan broke. Ask the fan. I have to say ask the fan, but there is no fan here. 
This is just Rupa in a certain configuration. See, do you see? This is the fan. This is the the handle. And what is this? This is my hand, right? That is because that's what you project. I'll tell you the truth. This is Rupa. This is also Rupa. The fact that you can do this to you feels like this is one object and this is another object. That is all in your mind. <laughs> Because now you see, this is Rupa. Yeah, agreed. This is also Rupa. What is there in between? What's there in between? That's also Rupa. This is also Rupa. So where do you stop the where do you stop where do you draw the line? Here's Rupa. Here after that, there's no Rupa. You can't because everywhere there's Rupa. This is one configuration. This is another configuration. These are all configurations, but our mind perceives them as fixed entities. Therefore, in your mind, this is Swami Nuance's hand, and this is Swami Nuance's fan. So you know, imagine if someone came with a with a cleaver and they cut it off from here. How would you feel? You'd be shocked. How could you do that? Something like that is innocent Swami nonsense. Because you'll feel that they've cut my hand. This is just Rupa. In your mind, this is my hand. This configuration is a hand, yes, but that's all it is. It's just a configuration. That is why what you eat today, tomorrow becomes part of your body. It's just a change in configuration, right? The carbohydrate you put into your body tomorrow becomes part of your tissues. The proteins you put into your body tomorrow becomes part of your liver. So what did you eat? Liver? No. Besides, it wasn't your liver you ate. <laughs> clearly. So how does how does a carrot, hmm? how does a carrot, become your liver? How does it become your lung? How does it become your heart? At what point did it become yours? Okay, answer that question for me. Now you go to the shop, you buy a carrot. Okay, you cook it, you eat it. In a week's time, it becomes your liver. Tell me, at which point did it become yours? Okay, I understand carrot becoming liver. When did it become yours? Through the journey of carrot. Right, going through your 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 mouth, right, digesting in your system, and then converting into tissues and cells and so on, right, and then becoming part of your liver. Tell me, at which point did it belong belong to you? You can't tell me when I bought it from the shop. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when did it become part of you? At what point could you say, now that carrot is all me? Hmm? When can you say that? When it becomes my liver? I'm trying over and over again to get this concept into your head because if I do that, if I can manage to do that, folks, you are free. You don't even have to come back here again. If you can do that, you will start to see the world in a different lens. Then you will be able to do the things that I said right at the beginning of the sermon. When people do things to you, when people hurt you, you will know that it's just a hurt mind. So then you will have no animosity towards them, no anger, no. 
you'll just be you'll just be full of compassion that's what you'll be you'll just be full of loving kindness because all you'll see is a hurt mind not a person trying to hurt you you know like the squirrels caught in the jogs in the dog's jaw strolling left and right shaking about you know that poor animal is only crying and weeping because it's it's caught in that instance you know imagine if you if if you know the dog try catches the the squirrel and then immediately lets go right and now that animal feels threatened doesn't it that squirrel if you now try to save that squirrel if you go and try and catch it what's what might the squirrel do hmm? it'll attack you because it's gone into defense mode it's trying to protect itself with every ounce of energy it's got it'll scratch you it might even bite you but you'll say oh i try to help it why is it doing that to me because it doesn't know that you're trying to help it because at the, in that moment it just feels threatened similarly when a mind is vexed all the mind's looking for is relief what you do is you in your in your mind right you project right and 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 that is what happens to them also when a, when the mind is vexed right when, when a person is vexed they'll see you as a person and the person that is a threat to them that's what they'll see with, within you but if, so if you also see them the same way then you are no better it's all right for them to do it because they they don't come here we don't teach them we don't give them instruction we don't give them the dhamma but if you do it that's not very good so i'm trying to instill into your minds you know this concept of what is what do we talk what do we mean by this fixed concept what is this fixedness what is this separatedness you project it you know take ah even better i think i talked to you about it the other day this is a beetle leaf yeah so now you can't help yourself but project a unit here isn't this a beetle leaf you can't you, you don't feel that the beetle leaf and the hand are one and the same do you no you feel this is a beetle leaf and this is a beetle leaf is a beetle leaf a beetle leaf a beetle leaf right <laughs> and this is a hand which is a very separate thing but ultimately all there is is you know rupa configuration configuration changes and at this point you know where my uh, fingernail comes into contact with this leaf right it's still the same rupa just a different configuration that's what's changed so if let me just draw it on the board right if this is if this is finger okay um this is the configuration of rupa on the finger this is the configuration of that is a finger okay i'm just representing the configuration of rupa when you look at this you say that's a finger okay when you look at this now you'll say that's a leaf 
this is what's going on here. <laughs> Please try and see it, what I'm trying to explain to you. <laughs> then you'll be free. <laughs> this is what you see here. What you see as a finger, what you see as a leaf, are simply configurational dif changes, differences. These are configurational differences. Nothing else. Because this is also, if they were, say, uh, I'll draw a fourth shape, uh, let's say a rectangle. Okay. So imagine the circles are, the circles are Patavi. The squares are Apo, the rectangles are Tejo, and the uh, sorry, the triangles are Tejo, and the rectangles are Vayu. Okay, different configuration. That's it. But when they have a different configuration to the outside, they look different. That is the difference that you see. They look different, but clearly, aren't all things just the basic elements? Hmm? It's all carbon, ca carbon, hydrogen, helium, oxygen, beryllium, borons, and you know, it's all the same stuff. So, but the way they come together, right, and the bonds that they form between themselves, that is what characteristically will look different to the outside. That is the same thing that's going on here. So if, if they're all just the same stuff, just rearranged, now how come they are so different from each other? This, this is not a separate thing to this. The reason that you see a finger is because these rupa are in this moment, in this arrangement. That is what I mean by anicca. In this moment, they are in this arrangement. In a flash of a second, I, if I could change the arrangement, now you no longer see a finger. What you see is a leaf. So what is anicca? The fact that this is not a fixed, there's no fixed finger. What there is are the elements arranged in a certain order every moment. In the very next moment, I could take this out. You don't see a finger anymore. Now perhaps you see maybe a tiger. Quite possibly. But put this back in here again. Now you see a finger. Take it out. Tiger. Put this back in. Finger. So. That tells you, doesn't it, that there is no fixed finger? Neither is there a fixed tiger, neither is there a fixed leaf. Nothing is fixed. In every moment, they keep on manifesting. Meaning, this, 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 and this, when they come together in that order, every moment, now it manifests a finger. Do you get that? Do you all understand that? Put your hand up if you want me to go through that one more time. These components, so we are trying to understand how do we see a finger when we are going on about the fact that there are no fixed things. There are no fixed things. So how come we see a finger? How come we see a finger? What you see is simply a manifestation. What is a manifestation now is the next question. You know, manifestation, manifestation. What's a manifestation? A manifestation is when <clears throat> the constituent parts come together in a particular arrangement. 
that arrangement can change at any time. <clears throat> so there are no fixed arrangements. Remember the other day Guru Tero was talking about the flower arrangement in the singular sermon? Yeah, that arrangement can change at any time. It can change at any time because it is not fixed. No one says that you have to be here and you have to be and you have to be and you have to be here. It just happens to be that causes have coincided in a certain way that this is, this is actually a coincidence. It is by coincidence that these causes have come together in this arrangement. That is why we say a finger is an anicca object. In other words, it's a manifestation. Manifestation. How so? These component parts, by their coming together in this arrangement, now we see as onlookers a finger. But it is not a fixed element because all it requires is take out one of these components and you no longer see a finger. Meaning the finger is not fixed. Means it's not, it's not separate. It's not an entity that is unchanging. It is not a permanent entity. It, you know, it's not like the finger will always be a finger. It is every moment becoming a finger. That is the point I'm trying to get across to you. Because at t equals 1, these, <clears throat> these objects have to come together in this arrangement. At t equals 2, these components have to come together in this arrangement, these elements. At t equals 3, these elements have to come together in this arrangement. If at t equals 4, this guy drops out, now this is no you no longer see the same arrangement. Right? The configuration has now changed. Right? Conventionally, we give it another name. That's all. We give it another name. We'll no longer call it a finger. We'll call it a stick. That's it. So whatever you refer to by the name, was it here? Is it fixed here? No. That is why they say the, 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 the sanya or the, the name that you give is like a mirage. What's in the name is not in the object. What you refer to as a mirage, I mean, what do you see in a mirage? When you look at the mirage, what do you see? Water, right? But is it there? It's not there. Anything but. Yeah? Same goes here. Here, there is anything but a finger. But because when you think about a finger, you think of it as a, as a fixed object. See? A finger. What is here is not a finger. What is here are simply the components in that arrangement. So finger is not here. These are simply components in a particular arrangement. You can call it a finger if you like. You can call it whatever you like. We just conventionally, we've agreed all together as the human race, let's call it a finger. So that we can live comfortably and conveniently. So that when someone says finger, we all know what we're talking about. It's just a name. There's nothing to a name. It's just a way to refer to a configuration of stuff. That's all it is. What is glucose? It is a name to refer to a configuration of stuff. That's just a name. We could have called it something else if we wanted. That is just a name. Same goes here. This is just a name. You could have called it something else. You know, in another language, you call it something else, right? 
but what you perceive as a finger is not here it's not that that fixedness is not here it's just an arrangement and in every moment ladies and gentlemen those that arrangement has to work every moment remember you know the best one of the best examples i can give you is the one i talked about long time ago this pen is up here not because i kept it up here 2 seconds ago it's here because there's a force acting on it right now and right now and right now and right now because at any moment if the force acting on this stops what happens the pen drops so this being here is not fixed it is constantly being fed yeah the causes are constantly feeding this so this this being in this position is constantly being supported by the causes that are constantly feeding it in the same way here this arrangement is constantly being nourished though there is energy that's putting all these components in that arrangement every moment that is what you what people refer to as the pachupanna mohata but really you know we need to step away from this moment idea i don't i, I personally don't like the pachupanna mohata part because that gives a wrong connotation it's not a mohata it's not a moment it's just a nature that uh, is the nature of causes resulting in a in an effect that is what it is in other words because you know the dhamma is timeless so if 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 every all phenomenon if the cosmos is timeless then how can we talk about a mohata i don't mind people talking about mohata but the problem is when people think about in terms of time they they feel that we are talking about this moment this moment this moment this moment and so on yeah we're not talking about moments what we are talking about is the fact the phenomenon that the only reason things exist or at least appear to exist is because conditions are constantly leaned towards that conditions are constantly and and always right the, the the conditions for that manifestation are always coming together not in a moment because if you talk about moments then there should be the time between those two moments there is no time where nothing's happening right these 1 2 3 4 5 <coughs> these five elements there's not a time where these five elements are doing nothing and then every second they come together right and then very briefly they go apart it's not that's not how it happens there's sufficient energy in the system to bring all these elements in this order in this arrangement and it's it's like that throughout for as long as the energy is there to keep those components in that order in that arrangement you see a finger in fact you don't see a finger you see an arrangement you see a structure you give it a name finger that is why you can change this to this simply by rearranging these things isn't that how we recycle isn't that how the bridge became the the tower the components in a different arrangement give a different structure so this is a this is a structure the same stuff makes this structure is the same stuff if you took this to if you did a chemical analysis on this right and you find out what elements this is made of the same elements make this up but why does this look like a hand and this looks like a leaf different arrangement that's why and different quantities quantities are different arrangement is different that's why but this is not a fixed hand because 
those quantities and those arrangements they happen all the time it's like you know this is buzzing now with energy that energy is what keeps this in this way and it's not energy from yesterday it's happening right now if it stopped happening right now just like this pen the moment you stop supplying energy to it it will drop in the same way if energy stopped happening right now you will no longer see a hand here this will disperse what will disperse you shouldn't be able to answer that question because there was nothing here to disperse it was just matter matter is just there yeah it's like how are we doing for time all right we've got a few more minutes yes yeah yeah absolutely everything is in a constant state of flux so you know think about this right imagine you were out on the street right and you see so there are lots of people okay they're walking about you know just doing their their own thing some people together hmm? so this is just just people okay <clears throat> now if i asked you if i said if i asked you this question don't you see there are some people who are standing in a row oops can you also see that yeah if i asked you can't you see the three people stood in a row can't you you can but do you think they are standing in a row which three people show me three people standing in a row <coughs> how about this way i move this guy a little bit to the left see they are now stood in a row okay uh oh see there also stood in a row who else ah see do you think they planned this this guy is going to this shop this guy is going to that shop he is going he is lost his way this guy is going to see this guy right this guy he is going to give this guy a piece of his mind right they don't know that they are here stood in a row but you can project that onto them can't you you know the star signs don't you in the sky think about how people have been able to project the zodiac signs hmm aquarius what else do you have sagittarius hmm? pisces and so on right so like you know there are stars out in the sky hmm there are stars out there and some guy thinks oh yeah 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 i can i can see that that's that's a deer Hmm? Huh? That's a that's a that's a hunter. Huh? There's another star. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. That's the that's the bow and arrow. <laughs> Do you think the stars got together? They have a con- yearly convention, right? And they they discuss, right? Let's all go and stand in this formation. Do you think they do that? 
But you see how people have been able to project patterns onto things that have that take no part whatsoever in those patterns. That is how the mind can separate. It picks out patterns in things where patterns don't exist. These stars don't know that they are taking part in this formation. They are just unique individual stars. That's all they are. They have no connect. I mean, you know, this star is probably a million light years from the other star. They've never even met. And you're drawing lines connecting them. <laughs> you know, in three-dimensional space, they're, they're probably light years away from each other. But you simply draw lines on them and connect them and say, that is, my <laughs> that is a zodiac sign. See, same thing here, same thing there, same thing everywhere. This is also Rupa, this is also Rupa. This Rupa doesn't know that it's part of this Rupa. This Rupa doesn't know that it's part of this Dua. It doesn't know that. But the Dua's mother can look at that Rupa and say, ah, that is my daughter. My daughter, my daughter's arms, my daughter's head, my daughter's legs. This is my daughter's body. These are projections. Why projections? Because the mind always wishes to separate. Of course, sir. Because the mind always, you know, it's yearning for that separation. Why? Because at some point in, in, in time, don't ask me when, the mind began to believe that this separation was very pleasurable. And that is how you have come into being. Today, you identify yourself as a separate individual, don't you? What does that mean? What does this different, what does an individual mean? You are individual, means you are separate from everybody else. And now when that happens, everything has a belonging. Either they belong to you or they belong to somebody else. So that separation started when you began to feel that you were a separate being. Now the same goes here. Now can't you tell which stars belong to which zodiac sign? You can, because you have separated them. Now you can tell, here looking at this, this guy is not in this row. He is not taking part, but he is. I, oh, say when you are playing Ring a Ring of Roses. Hmm? Did you do that? Yes? Hmm? You're all stood in a circle. Where's the circle? Blindfold them. Imagine they were just standing here and there. We, asked, we blindfolded them and then we, we brought them by their arms and said, stand there, don't move. And we did that to all, what, 15 of them. Okay? Now do they know they're stood in a circle? No, but can't you, tell that, can't you see that they're in a circle? Where's that circle? <laughs> it's in your mind. Because you separate them from everybody else. This circle, the people who are stood in this circle are stood in this circle and nowhere else. Just like this pen. Once you see this pen, everything in this world is not this pen. It seems like basic, but this is so profound what I'm trying to explain to you here. Once you see this pen, everything else in this world is not this pen. Much like once, you, once they are stood in this circle, how about this guy? Is he in a circle? He's not in the circle. So what happens if this guy starts to you know, wander away? He, he starts going here. What are you going to say? Oi! Come back and stand where? 
Stand in whose circle? Stand in my circle. He'll say, what circle? <laughs> Won't he? He'll ask, what circle? Because he doesn't know about a circle. Because that is your circle. You project it onto this. Now, in the same way, this is a leaf. This is a finger. The cells or the, the molecules, the atoms, the elements of this that they're going to make in what you call a finger don't know that it's part of a finger. In much the same way that the molecules and the atoms and the elements that make up this leaf don't know that it's part of a leaf, you know that. In fact, you project that. That is why you see this as a finger and this as a leaf. So the moment you see that now this finger has something it belongs to, what? The hand. And the hand has something it belongs to, what? The body. The body has something it belongs to, who? The Swami Nuanse. Because the moment you start separating one thing, everything else also separates. You, it's not like you can just separate one thing and let everything else be like that. That's not how it happens. Because once separation happens on the inside, it's like wearing colored glasses. If you wore a colored glass, a pair of colored glasses, the moment you, of course, when the moment you switch it on, only certain things look colored or everything looks colored? Everything looks colored. So when separation happens inside and you begin to identify yourself as an individual, now everything in this world becomes separate entities. So now there are men, there are women, there are black men, there are white men, there are, there are animals, and there are cats and dogs and giraffes and elephants and all those things. They're all out there. Everything in this world is separate. And also, not just that, you don't stop there. They all have an owner. They all have an owner. Either it's me or it's somebody else. And then what's better? We can all get together and say, well, we all belong to somebody else. That's also nice. <laughs> because we need an owner, don't we? I belong to someone. Because that sense of ownership is a nice feeling, isn't it? Feeling of belonging. You know, that's what people yearn for. They want to feel belong, don't they? That's why, you know, that's why people want friends, companions, because they want to feel belong. I belong to this family. I belong to, I belong to my clan. I belong to my country. I belong to my village. I belong to my school. I belong to my community. So imagine if you had no one to belong to. Now you have a deep sense of belonging that you need to satisfy, but no one to belong to. Then what do you do? Oh, yeah. It's the craving for belonging, sir. Yeah, it's, it's, it's because once identity happens, once this separation happens, separate things have to belong to something. It, it seems so ironical, though. That's the thing, right? You want to separate, and now you ask, who do I belong to? <laughs> if you didn't separate, you belong to anyway. <laughs> Don't you? Then, then, of course, we are all the same, aren't we? But the thing is, right, the moment you, you create this separation in the mind, and then what do, you, what do people want? To belong to someone, to belong to something, to belong to something bigger than them. But you were, before you started the separation. That is the irony. <laughs> do you understand that? After you separate yourself, now you want to belong to someone. But if you didn't separate, you belonged in the first place. We all belong to God. We belong to nature. We belong to the universe. So why separate then? 
After you separate, now again you feel, oh, I need to belong. <laughs> because there's a natural tendency to want to belong to something bigger, something greater. There's a, there's a natural tendency because, you know, all, all energy belongs to the same source. But ignorance and attachment have always, you know, it's always hijacked. I, so, that, so that need to belong never goes away in that, in that sense. But of course, in the other sense, you know, once you have this separation, you always talk about what belongs to what. So what do you separate from what? The question is flawed. You can't separate anything from anything because if you're, if you're talking about that, then you have misunderstood the concept of separation. So why all this? So you can take down notes and take it home and put it in your Dhamma, Dhamma book? No, no, no. This is so you can, when you live out there, when people bump into you and people step on your toe, right? Or when people shortchange you or come and say something bad to you and try and hurt your feelings or whatever, you need to understand, it's just energy. It's just a mind. Ignorance and attachment have gotten the better of them. Okay, we're all, it's all the same. But because of ignorance, attachment happens and attachment happens, separation happens. When separation happens, they feel that they are an individual and you are trespassing their personal space. You are treading on my toe. You are stepping on my ground. Keep your hands to yourself. Don't touch me. See? If there's no separation between the leaf and the hand, where's the separation between your hand and my hand? You know, it goes both ways, whether it's aversion or desire. You know, why does a girl want to hold a boy's hand? Why does a man wants to want to hold a woman's hand? Because again, they feel they're separate. Otherwise, what's the difference? I mean, what difference is there between this? What difference is there between this, right? And the difference between this being a man, this being a woman, and now this? Something seems very different, doesn't it? Very, very different. My left hand, my right hand. My left hand, her right hand. Huh? No? Something seems, something seems weird. Something seems awkward. Something seems different, doesn't it? Because now these two, these hands belong to someone. You've gone beyond matter. You've gone beyond Rupa. That's why how, that's, you know, when the Buddha talks about Abhisankara, he says, Rupan, Rupataya, Sankatang, Abhisankaranti. When you go beyond Rupa and see something more than Rupa, an owner of Rupa, the Rupa belonging to someone, a person out of a Rupa, an identity for Rupa, an individualized Rupa, a, the personification of Rupa, all this is because of ignorance. That is when this hand and my hand and her hand, now that, then that sends a, you know, a, a shiver down my spine. But my hand and my own hand, no. But this, is also, this was also carrot. That was also carrot a week ago. We shared the same carrot. <laughs> Just think about it. We ate from the same pot of rice. Come on, folks. <laughs> Do you still want to live your lay lives? <laughs> huh? We all ate the same rice pot. Huh? We split the same carrot in half. She ate half, I ate the other half. Huh? One half went into making her hand, the other half went into making my hand. Right? And now we hold hands and we say, ah. That feels good. <laughs> Two weeks ago, that was the same carrot. <laughs>
please try and see the logic behind this. How nonsensical this is. What madness, what lunacy this is. Hmm? But you wouldn't chop the same carrot, <laughs> would you? And say, and you know, hold the two carrots together and go, ha ah. ha. You wouldn't do that. But put the carrots in the, in the, into their respective mouths uh, and their respective digestive systems. And then that goes on to form their respective hands. And now hold the hands and now you'll say, that's nice. Why? Because previously there was just the carrot. And now there's her hand and there's my hand. Separation. That separation is not really out there. It's only a, a, you know, a, a figment of your own mind. It's a creation of your own mind and now you project it to the same carrot. I mean, that should be the best example, right? If we eat the same stuff, you know, we eat from the same soil, we eat from the same tree, we breathe the same air, we drink the same water. Huh? How come when two people have gone through the same process, now they look at each other and go, oh, you are very different to me and I am very different to you. Clearly, it's not the, it's not the bodies, it's not the rupa, but there's a mind inside, isn't there? There's a mind inside each of those systems and they are both hijacked by ignorance. Ignorance to separate. And therefore, separation happens in both minds and now they project it onto each other. And now Adam sees Eve and Eve sees Adam. That's what happens. Before they ate, ate the forbidden fruit, they were all the same. But after that, you are a man, I'm a woman, we are naked, yikes. Let's cover up. Because of ignorance. I'm sharing all this with you folks because I want you to have the right perspective when you're out there. Okay? People will come to steal your peace from you. Don't let them do that. Because they can't really. They can't take your peace from you. You surrender it. They can't annoy you unless you let them. They can't bother you unless you let them. In fact, no one has ever bothered you. No one has ever annoyed you. No one has ever upset you or made you angry. You did it unto yourselves. All because your mind wished to experience a separatedness and therefore along with that came an ego, right? the, the my feeling, the me feeling, the self feeling and now that self has to be preserved, that self has to be respected, it has to be regarded, it has to be recognized, uh, it has to be treated well and given its right, right place and all that. All that because of the mind, the mind going insane. If you feel that someone has to respect you, okay, if, if you feel that someone has to treat you well, someone has to regard you with respect, right, and, and, and speak in, in nice words, in respectful words, give you that salute, say good morning to you. If you feel that you are junior or you are senior or you are the same, all of this is because the mind's gone insane. It's, it, it's, it's created a self inside, which is that separation. And then after that, now I am here, you are there. Let's work out how we treat each other. That's all this is. So apply this understanding to all situations that you come across in life. When you do that, you are an Aryan. When you don't do that, you're not. So it's not a badge that I can give you to wear on your crest. It's what you do that makes you an Aryan.
Kamana Vasalo Hoti, Kamana Hoti Brahmano. Likewise, Kamana Aryo Hoti. Kamana Hoti Aryo. Your approach, what you do mentally, what you, how you reflect on that, that is what makes you an Aryan. So in each moment, take the right approach. Right view, right understanding, right contemplation, right thought, right speech, right actions, right livelihood, right concentration, right approach. Take the right approach. That is the Noble Eightfold Path. Living, breathing, walking around, eating, sleeping, doing whatever you're doing. Take the right approach. Come to, the, come to your senses. Understand this, this truth. Reflect on that. Be mindful. Be mindfully aware of this truth. That is what we talked about the other day. Not just being mindful. Be mindfully aware of the truth. Because you can be mindfully aware of the false. Of a falsehood. What's, what's the use of that? Be mindfully aware of the truth. And the truth will set you free. In that moment. In that moment. Nibbana is not something you are going to achieve tomorrow. It's something you achieve in this moment. So don't dream to attain, 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 sorry, attain Nibbana in, 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 in you know, 20 years time, 10 years time, 15 years time. Nibbana is lost now. Therefore Nibbana can be found now. Shall I give you Nibbana? There you go. You got Nibbana. But the moment I gave it to you, you defiled it. So stop doing that. Shall I give it to you again? I gave it to you twice. Stop doing that. Stop defiling it. Stop ruining it. Stop spoiling it. Nirvana is with you by default. Okay? So be mindfully aware. This is what's going on. And try and keep your mind on this truth, on the Dhamma, in every moment you can. Every waking moment, try and be mindful of that. If you do that, you are in Nibbana. And the more times you do that, the more practice you get. And eventually, this will become your default mindset. Right now, we have to practice it. You know, like the first time you got on a bike, you fell, right? But you got back on it again, and you fell again. You got back on it again, you fell again. But over time, you got the hang of it. You got practice of it. And then it just became, now you can ride with your hands behind you. Blindfolded. That's because it's just become your normal rhythm. This way of thinking has to become your normal rhythm. That is your Nibbana. Right, let's conclude today's sermon. And stop for the Buddha Puja. Let us all take a moment to transfer the merits we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching, and with immense gratitude let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage, in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the nuns and monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. 
Let us transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhanse as well as all the teachers resident at this monastery, the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may through the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the warful plane, redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May through the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employees and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us take a moment to transfer the merits to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakha Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Samadha Sasana. Let us transfer our merits to the guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may, by the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sad, sad, sad. Let us take a moment to transfer to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits that we have acquired today. Let us transfer merits to all those who have lost their lives in natural cal calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of arahants on this blessed land. And finally, may by the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an arahatun nuhanse, narahat nuhanse, in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you forever. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you. <clears throat> Nibbana 
सुखयन सुखित ममद सियलु लोक सियलु सत्मयो निवान परम सुखयन सुखित निवान परम सुखयन सुखित निवान परम सुखयन सुखित राग निबान परम सुखेन सुखद तरवेत्वा साधु साधु साधु